Welcome to Torah Talk, a program that challenges 2,000 years of misunderstanding and neglect of the Torah, God's law. In this show, we will be threshing ideologies by examining these scriptures in their Hebraic contexts. Our goal is to separate the wheat from the chaff, the truth from misconception. This program is sponsored by The Harvest, a Messianic Charismatic Congregation in Thornton, Colorado. of the Torah, and thank you for choosing to listen to Torah Talk. I'm your host, Pastor Mark. It's great to be with you this week. In this podcast, we're going to be looking into the Torah portion, Pincus, translated Phineas, an amazing story, uh, quite shocking in its details, uh, but the outcome, of course, is amazing in every way. As we look into the life of Phineas, what we're going to see is the zeal of, of God, uh, a heart of faithfulness, a heart of concern that does some things that are pretty dramatic and in and of itself, uh, you know, just really frankly appalling. But in the wider scope of the context of the passage, it was something that was needed to be done that actually would bring about the redemption of Israel later on. So we'll take a closer look at this. Thanks for joining me today. Keep in mind that this is a midrash and not to be construed as a doctrinal statement or theological treatise on the subject. I'm simply wrestling with the passages to better inform you as well as myself I reserve the right to change my mind on my ideas as I grow in the grace and knowledge of the Messiah. Now, the Torah text that we're going to look to uh, from the portion will be from the JPS translation of the Tanakh. We're going to step into Numbers chapter 25. The Torah portion starts in verse 10, but we're going to back up to verse number one and give a little bit of a context for what we find in the beginning of this Torah portion. And before I start, I want to welcome uh, in the studio with me today, two pastors from the Boise, Idaho area. We have Pastor um, Brian Klein with us. He's the worship leader of 26-8. We have Pastor David Snyder, who's the senior leader of the congregation. They've been involved in the Messianic movement for, I think, about 20 years. I think Dave, about 20 years. Uh, Pastor Brian is a little bit newer. Uh, but they both have been leading an amazing congregation out in the Boise, Idaho area. They are innovative thinkers, clear thinkers. I think they have a broad, big picture idea as it comes to the issue of the Torah and what it means to our lives as believers. So welcome to the show. Pastor Dave, first and foremost, what, what do you want to say jumping into the show today? Thanks for uh, having us with you. It's exciting to be able to be out here and uh, find out what you guys are doing. And uh, we're glad to be able to dialogue on Numbers 25. Fascinating passage, and um, looking forward to getting into it with you. It's great. Pastor Brian. It's great to be here. Uh, I'm excited to talk about this passage with you. Yeah. Always love spending time with you, and we get to talk about the words. So, you know, I love, I love this because I do this show by myself. And, and so I do a lot of talking. And by the time I'm done, I'm kind of tired of hearing myself. Yeah. So it's always, always a blessing to have other people on the show and, and to hear their ideas as well. And I'm just looking for, you know, just some uh, fresh ideas about this passage. And the, the, the thing that makes this show unique is we are a messianic um, show. So most of the shows uh, are basically coming from more of a rabbinic orientation and background. This is one of the few shows that comes from a messianic mm -hmm. uh, viewpoint. And so 
Uh, glad to have you on sharing on this program. Okay, so let's jump into this passage. Uh, uh, of course, this is um, a terrible time in Israel's history, and she now is, uh, f- you know, f- found herself in a place of great idolatry once again. This is a big, big faux pas, so to speak, on her behalf. The background is uh, they are moving through some uh, area where a king, a Moabite king, has employed the services of a very famous uh, and powerful seer called Balaam. And he wants to curse Israel. He wants to not only diminish her, he really wants her destroyed. And so he tries to pay Balaam a lot of money to get the job done. And Balaam has enough fear of the Lord because God comes to him. He he encounters God. This is previous Torah portions. And he pretty much figures out he's not going to do that. And so he tells uh, the king, I'm going to speak only the word of the Lord, only what the Lord gives me. Every instance, over and over and over, he blesses rather than curses. King of uh, uh, Moab is so upset. He's enraged. He finally says, I'm done with you. Go home. Balaam says, before I go home, I got some final words for you and gives the prophecy of the rise of the star of Jacob, the Messiah himself, and prophesies that Israel will not only overthrow Moab, but also a number of other nations. It's an ancient messianic prophecy. It's powerful in every way. And so... uh, Uh, That kind of almost ends the story, other than Balaam, who's a lover of money, still wants to be paid. So he does an end around at the very end and then tells basically the king that there's another way to bring about what you want. I can't do it, but this is how you do it. You get Israel to, to involve herself in sexual immorality around ritual idolatry. You hook those two things up together her God, who is a jealous God, his name even is jealous, will be enraged and he'll probably destroy her himself. And so that's the setting. So the king of Moab has set this up and is going to bring Israel into this place. And hopefully God will move and destroy her on the king's behalf. So it begins, while Israel was staying at Shittim, the people profaned themselves by whoring with the Moabite women who invited the people to the sacrifices of their God. The people partook of them and worshiped that God. Thus Israel attached itself to Baal Peor, and the Lord was incensed with Israel. So I just want to open this up. Any any initial thoughts on these three verses and uh, what you kind of see in these verses? First, initially, you know, in context, and what was taking place then, and then also how that might look today in various ways. Uh, First thing that pops into mind for me is the fact that um, the phenomena of idolatry is um, not only developed in the book of Numbers, but in particular, it is one of the primary topics thereafter in the book of Deuteronomy. So idolatry is... Um, one of the keys to grasping why the response in the text is so uh, dramatic. And obviously here, the idolatry is merged with sexuality. So it was obviously not just simply uh, the profaning uh, of Israel by worshiping a false god. It was profaning Israel by engaging in the acts of sexuality to worship that god, which, which helps us to understand that um, idolatry itself uh, ultimately manifests itself 
in the most heinous betrayal of our relationship with the living God. And uh, that will often work itself out uh, in our life, uh, not so much with a specific integration of a, uh, a particularly as American, uh, as Americans, an integration of something that's specifically uh, orient, oriented uh, in another religion, but anything that would set itself up as a God on our behalf. And in America, that might look like bringing consumerism into the body of Messiah and materialism into the body of Messiah and a whole host of other Americanisms, if you will, uh, that set themselves over and against allegiance to the living God. So that's how the text strikes me just right at the yes. outset. Uh, yeah. And good. And, and maybe we should define idolatry uh, a little bit more. You're on, right on the right path. You know, uh, the whole concept of idolatry is placing some, some, someone or something in the place of God and his claim on our lives. And we can do that in a lot of different ways. As, you, as you've pointed out, even, even this materialism, the love of money can become a type of idolatry. That's ex that's exactly right. Um, uh, and idolatry would also include forms of worship, how we worship right. God, yeah, when right, we right, worship right, yeah. God, because it's God, God is worship. already where we worship. Yeah, how we worship. Yeah. Those are all issues related to idolatry, even though in the church today, we don't think of idolatry in those terms. Yeah. And then you've got the sexual aspects of that, because mm -hmm. in pagan world religions, oftentimes sex and sexuality is part of the ritual, right? It's, you know, you go to the mother earth religions like Wicca, for instance, in, in most of those streams of, of expression, it's done out in, in nature. Mm -hmm. And you do that with no clothes on and it's very sensual, very earthy and, 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 you know, uh, enough said, but that is modern displays of these right. ancient religions yeah. that weave within the ritual of their faith or religion or worship sexuality. Yeah. So, so this is an ancient, you know, form of this. We see that around us today and it's super popular today. Wick is on the rise. Mm -hmm. It has become a federally protected religion, recognized federally protected. Our, our tax dollars now are used to build Wiccan altars at our military bases. And you got plenty of people jumping in and going through those religious practices, uh, you know, in our military, mm. let alone in the civil arena. So, yeah, Pastor Brian, you want to say something? Yeah, I think there's a whole a whole Genesis story behind this because Genesis 19 is Lot and uh, his daughters come to him and get pregnant, and that spawns the nation of Moab. What you see here with this bale in particular, he's um, associated with fertility. So there's this whole genesis of family idolatry and and worship of false yeah. gods in contrast to Israel, which we then see later with uh, Pinchas yeah. with this faithful family. Yes. So I think there's some more backstory behind this, but I think that, that picture of idolatry spreading through genealogy is seen here as well. Now with Israel getting intertwined... And that's why I think we it leads to the next conse consequence. Yes, and God taking a, uh, taking a people for Himself, He divorces Himself from all the nations at the Tower of Babel. He says, "But I'm going to take one, Abraham, and through him, I'm gonna I'm gonna raise up a nation for Myself. Right. That's going to be My heritage. Right. And so 
Israel's going to be this nation. And, and the text says, uh, you know, what God has ever done something like this? No God has ever attempted to do anything like this, to actually take an ethnic group out of its ethnic sent, uh, uh, um, setting, change its cultural values, shift them to a whole different expression. I mean, that's, that's like, try to change someone. You can't try to change an entire people group. That's like impossible, right? Right. That's what God's doing. And so he's called Israel out of Egypt. He wants Israel to live in a new way now, a new frame of reference a new set of laws that govern every aspect, especially worship. Mm -hmm. And this is where Israel is stumbling around because change comes hard. We default to that which we're familiar with. Yeah. And so she's easily falling prey to this invitation by her neighbors. And what, what do you think some of the rationale is? When it says she was invited to the sacrifices of their God, um, what do you think the justification was in the minds of some of these early ancestors as they justified why they should go to this big ethnic fest? I mean, they knew they weren't supposed to. They, they knew enough about what Moses had already given them with all the warnings, especially mm -hmm. the prohibitions with idolatry. Don't do these things, right? So how did yeah. they justify this? Just, I think, the same way that we justify the, what we do. I mean, it, fundamentally, it's a human dynamic. Adam and Eve justified what they did by essentially diminishing the person and promise of God so that they were compelled of their own wisdom and their own fleshiness to find life outside of his promise and his presence. We're fundamentally doing the same thing uh, as humans. Here we see Israel essentially um, being drawn into a form of worship uh, that is obviously around fertility. So it may have been issues of fertility that were going on. Uh, it may have been issues just simply of having women that were more attractive than their own women, whatever was going specifically through their head. But ultimately what it comes down to is they didn't believe the God of Israel would be give what would be the God to them that he promised to be and give them what he promised to give them. And so that out of that, def that failed faith and the deficiency of their devotion, I didn't mean to do that, but, uh, yeah. but they, they were seeking in idols, what only God can give. So you're so you're saying because they had lost their faith in God, that God would make good on the promise. And in other words, absolutely, they, they were not absolutely. a people of faith. They came out and they gave Moses and Aaron a run for their money over and over and over. Absolutely. And right. so, you know, the golden calf event is much earlier than this. Right. This is a replay of that, yep. except now on steroids. Um, and so, so really it's an act of, look, we don't really believe that we're going to get what God promised. Right, we, right. Might as, we might yeah. as well just, just kind of give in to what has always worked. But here's the other side of the coin that the text brings up that has to be wrestled with because we're now uh, at this point a couple years beyond Sinai. Yep. Uh, Israel has been given uh, the laws that she was to obey, and yet over and over again the re their human rebellion is on display just like ours is on display. And it tells us not only that idolatry brings cursing, but it also tells us religion is in, is in and of itself insufficient to remedy the idolatry of our heart. And so on the one hand, we see the contrast of idolatry, but on the other hand, we're seeing the deficiency 
of religion to remedy our idolatrous heart. So it doesn't matter whether you're an idolater or you're a religious person. Religion as well is on uh, is is on display here as an inadequate expression of worship in and of itself. Good. That that and that's a great angle. That's a great angle. What about what about this angle? What about the angle that says, um, you know, these are these are neighboring groups. We've been persecuted everywhere. We're just wandering around. Looks like we're going to, you know, at some point just die miserable deaths. Why don't we just cave in and be like our neighbors? Why don't we make some covenants with our neighbors? Maybe they'll take care of us through a mutual covenant and we can settle here. Obviously, they're in a place of, of fear because they've recognized they've lost the favor of God through ongoing, repeated unbelief and disobedience. So maybe this is their way of saying, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of like, you know, put our trust in what's left to hope in rather than wandering, like Moses said, and dying in this wilderness. Make sense? You know, yeah, I think, totally. I, yeah, think absolutely. I, I think sometimes what we do is we say, we say this, look at all the things that are stacked up against us as believers. You know, I mean, we're just like the odd man out. And, and, and you know, uh, I just want to be accepted and yeah. I want to make it. And you know what? I got to kind of hide my faith in God or I'm not going to get my promotion. I got, I, I got to kind of, you know, shore up my relationships with wicked people if I want to close on these deals or whatever, right. we find yeah. ourselves compromising through unbelief and making in a sense agreements yeah. with people that we should not be making agreements with in order to somehow uh, make it in this, in this world. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think fleshing that out is the point of the journey of the desert. Yeah. Which tells us something God's God is okay the God we read about in Numbers, he's okay with this being the place where his people are at because he's big enough to redeem them and bring them out of that. So I like Numbers. It's kind of a, a notes for the road or notes for the journey kind of book because they're journeying through the desert and facing multiple yeah. obstacles. But the biggest obstacle is themselves, their own heart. Yeah. And so we see God stepping in over and over again and showing that he is a, a good God. Yeah, I think God has demonstrated that he can make good on every promise. That's exactly right. By his sheer power, yeah. love, and wisdom. The, the, the miracles they saw in Egypt, even when they came into the desert, yet they keep falling into fear and unbelief. Right. And I think the same thing for us. we got to learn to live by faith. And right. if we can live by faith, we're going to make it to our promised lands yeah. in the here and now, not, not the age to come, right? But if we fall prey and say, no, we're not going to live by faith and we're going to live like the world because we don't want to be persecuted and we want to make it in life, then we're going to suffer the lot that came to them. L- listen to what it says. So they, 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 they attached themselves to Baal Peor and the Lord was incensed with Israel. The Lord said to Moses, take all the ringleaders and have them publicly impaled before the Lord so that the Lord's wrath may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to Israel's officials, each of you slay those of his men who attached themselves to Baal Peor and then, or just then, one of the Israel. Well, let me stop there at verse five. Um, so, so God says, I want you to take the ringleaders. I want you to take those who helped the people 
fall prey and go to this festival and join themselves in this ritual idolatry. And I want you to kill them in public in front of everyone. Well, you know, that tells us right away, just like Moses said, don't test the Lord. He is a jealous God. Mm. And in his jealousy, you know, by the time he's done, he's going to see red everywhere. And, and that's basically what happens. Now, verse uh, uh, 6 says, Just then one of the Israelites came and brought a Midianite woman over to his companions in the sight of Moses and the whole Israelite community who were weeping at the entrance of the tent of meaning, meeting. When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, saw this, he left the assembly and taking a spear in his hand, he followed the Israelite into the chamber, stabbed both of them, the Israelite and the woman, through the belly. Then the plague against the Israelites was checked. Those who died of the plague numbered 24,000. Comments briefly as we move to verse 10. The first thing that comes to mind is watch out for men named Phineas. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, man. Oh, my gosh. Well, um, the, the one thing that first comes to mind is the fact that um, the violence of this text is astounding uh, right. to literally impale men on display for everyone to yeah. see. We, we can't. We in America, we can't. We can't, comprehend. Even, no. we can't even comprehend. We are the cupcake nation. I mean, we don't. Yeah. You don't know. You don't. You don't know what an offense and a horror is. It's here right. in the text. Can you right. imagine that? Yeah. Impaling yep. them in public. Men impaled, lifted above the earth in everyone's view. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it, it gives us a sense of our own um, disconnection from what actually offends God. Mm. We're, we're unable in our culture to grasp the significance of what God actually values. So in our culture, we now are lauding um, homosexuality, uh, transgenderism, and so on, which we have great compassion for people who are struggling with those sins. But our culture has, rather than had compassion, we have lauded them and exalted that. Mm -hmm. And, and said there's nothing wrong with that. there's nothing wrong with Morally that. Morally right. or naturally, yes. Right, and so the, the challenge is not to condemn the people who practice that, right. but rather to recognize the voices that are affirming and calling us to to laud that. Those are the voices that are offensive to God. Those right. are the same voices that the were back same, here. That's exactly yeah. the point. The voices right. that said, you know, um, we'll define for ourselves what is right and wrong. Mm -hmm. We'll determine for ourselves what is moral and immoral. Right. And... It's always different than what God has right. stated. Now, here's, here's the shock value. God's the creator of all things seen and unseen. Yeah. Um, you know, when God does this kind of stuff, who are we to say, wow, that is out of control? We don't, who are we? We're, we don't even have the ability to really understand that. What we know is that God is good, and he is righteous, and he's compassionate. 
for him to, to move to do something like this tells us, oh, that activity is extremely immorally offensive. Right. And we should learn to define morality along the lines of what God has already defined. Right. right. And then to say, hey, if it really gets God mad, we should pay attention. We should call that maybe a weightier issue of the law versus a lighter issue of the right. law. Right? Right. Mm. Okay. So. Now, he, the last thing, I, I do yeah. want to say one more thing yeah. about this. Um, the As we look at what actually offends God, and, and in this particular case, it has to do with people who were looking for blessing apart from the living God. They were looking for an idolatry. And one of the shifts that we want to make in our understanding of God is that God responds in wrath to the men, not because he hated them, but he responds in wrath to men because there is a decision that the men made, and that decision was to seek life outside of his presence. And inevitably, anyone who seeks life outside of his presence will end up separated from their presence. They're going to get what they want. And so death is the only um, consequence. It's the only way thing we get outside of God's presence. They got what they wanted. And and our, our the shift in the text is less around God being a spoiled child trying to hurt people that don't do what he likes, rather than God looking at them and saying, You've chosen what you've wanted. Now you have forced my hand. And instead of allowing you to live in my presence in the midst of my people with this offense, now you're going to get what you want. Yeah. And what you want is not what I want for you. Right. In other words, it, it just completely pains the heart of God. Absolutely. When, right. when, and what he's saying is this. It's almost like the kid. I know this is a really bad analogy, but it's like the little kid. He's over by the stove and it's just red hot and he's going to put his hand on the stove. And you're standing there saying, as a parent, don't do that. Don't touch that. I'm telling you, don't touch that. It's going to burn your hand. What's the kid do? He touches it, burns his head, and hand. And then what do you feel as a parent in your heart for that child? It just breaks your heart, right? Yeah. So here's God saying, look, if you're going to choose life outside of me, there's an enemy that's so slick and so deceptive he will lead you down to a path in which you're going to die. I can't bear that. I don't want that to happen. So God screams at us, don't do that, because right. he knows it's going to lead to our own demise and ultimately death, and he loves us. Mm. Now, once we press that and continue in that to the point that it becomes repetitious and a way of life, right. Right. kind of a generational disobedience, then finally God says to leaders who know better, all right, leaders, I'm taking you out. Mm-hmm. Not, not because I hate you. I don't. I love you. And I love my people. And I can't stand the fact that you're going to lead my people into the pits of hell. Right. Yeah. So I'm going to take your life to spare my people, right. to spare the next generation. Yeah, so these are the bigger pictures of a God who is compassionate and merciful. Yeah. Once you understand the full context of this ongoing decade after decade of disobedience, you know, then you begin to realize that God has to move in order to protect his people. Yeah. All right, here we go. Ready? Verse 10. This is, this is where we start our portion. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest. Oh, let me just say real quick. He takes the javelin. They come up. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to basically marry and do the act of marriage right there 
at, at the very location of where, where the presence of God is, where it's restricted, where no one can come into that place, where the Levites have already been commissioned by God, anyone that you allow in, I'm taking your life, not theirs. So now they, they have to actually protect that area. If they don't, they lose their own life. Here's the chief of the Levites that is guarding the presence of God. His name is Phineas. This is not, this is not uh, what do they call that when you take matters into your own hands? Um, vigilante, vigilante justice. This yeah. is not a vigilanteism. He's empowered, right. given the authority, and must do it or he dies. Right. So once you catch that, it makes the story more readable. Okay, so he follows them into the chamber. They move all the way to the act of copulation. It's that when he says, okay, you've gone far enough and finally moves at the last minute, takes the javelin and, 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 and pierces them, impales them together at the point of copulation. That's the horror of this picture that we have before us. Now, everyone else, we're shocked, we're appalled. We can't even finish reading unless it's in context. It's, very, it's a very difficult read. Notice what, God, notice what God says. Speak to Phineas. He tells Moses, speak to Phineas and say, Phineas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the Israelites by displaying among them his passion for me so that I did not wipe out the Israelite people in my passion. Say, therefore, I grant him my pact of friendship. It shall be for him and his descendants after him a pact of priesthood for all time, because he took impassioned action for his God, thus making expiation for the Israelites. Thoughts? What do you think? <laughs> I got Pastor Dave pointing at Pastor Pastor Brian. Do yeah. it, man. My, my initial Do thoughts, it. and I'm, I'm wrong. They're not still yeah. they're still forming. I'm trying. I'm not quite understanding it here, but uh, this contrast of religion and faith is coming to mind. Phineas exercises faith. I mean, what he did was just crazy. I mean, think of this in a, a modern day context. This is just way so way out there, and yet he responds in such a way it moves the heart of God. And so there's there's something relational there. He's, he makes a pact of friendship there. This is not just trying to fit within the the boxes and the lines and not do the wrong thing. This is uh, this is it says passion. This passion for God. So, so yeah. so Phineas in his passion for God. He see Phineas doesn't have he doesn't have religion. He has a relationship. Right. He has he has this genuine relationship with God, and he knows how offensive uh, offensive this is to God. And he knows he has the moral obligation to actually stop it Do in his something. tracks. Mm -hmm. So because of his fidelity to God, he overlooks the perceived offense of the people. Right. Instead of no, choosing to be PC and somehow gained acceptance in the group, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe get some more promotion. Who knows? He says, no, 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 no. I have a moral obligation to defend the name and honor and love of God yeah. and also to preserve the people of Israel that I know if this goes on, they're all going to die. Yeah. Right. And so he, he does this shocking thing. We're like, what? And God's like applauding. Right. Yeah. Saying, yeah, Good job. What? You know, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. Right. He's so different from us Yeah. and different in a good way, in a right way. A couple things come to mind. One is that um, one of the themes throughout the Torah, but, all, all the way through Scripture, is the theme of a Redeemer. Phinehas mm. acts the role of the Redeemer mm -hmm. because his his actions are, 
in in the JPS it's expiation, in in uh, and other translations it's atonement. He actually makes atonement. He he offers a necessary sacrifice to rid Israel of the um, impurity that they have acquired through idol worship and the coming wrath of God against it. Right. Right. Exactly. So so you have here uh, on display um, the. Uh, Israelite man with the Midianite woman actually engaging in uh, idol worship mm-hmm. through sexuality in the tabernacle, the presence of the tabernacle yeah. itself. So the very presence of God, <clears throat> and God uses that as the means of atonement, the the place of atonement, because that's what the the yeah. whole tabernacle was about. The place of atonement to actually destroy the very thing that was going to destroy Israel. So Phinehas is a picture of the Redeemer. <clears throat> which we would believe that would be Yeshua the Messiah, the one who came 2,000 years ago, who himself was willing to destroy that which was destroying us, and in the process, he, he, him, he, he took the guilt. Yeah. took the guilt. Yeah, he said, he said someone spare me. Right. I'm, right. I'm, I have come. He says, God, I, you, you've written in the scroll of the book, a body I've prepared for you. He came in human flesh and blood for right. the very express purpose to offer his life on a stake, mm-hmm. impaled in to public, impaled. to pay the debt of, of sin, idolatry, right. mm-hmm. offense, right. exactly. so that we could go on and live. That is so. That's powerful. Yeah, that and, is, that is, and yeah. part of, and part of I think what is uh, compelling about the text is the fact that the atonement was the death of a man and a woman. It wasn't just the sacrifice of an animal. The atonement was a death of a woman, and everything in Leviticus points to the substitute of an animal for a human. Here, it's actually the human, yeah. Yeah. which then ultimately that's what we see in the life of, of Yeshua the Messiah. So part of the invitation of the text is to recognize that in the end, the sacrifice uh, that's required to redeem humanity is a human. That's what's required. You, mm. It's not. It's not enough. An animal's not enough. And no, the animal was always the type and shadow. Right. Right. Israel knew there was a promised seed. Right. Son of David. You right. know. Absolutely. Son of Abraham. Son, son of Isaac. All the way down. Right. They knew that ultimately it would be the Mashiach who would be the one who gives mm-hmm. his life as an atonement. The animals were just types and shadows, preparing them, pointing right. them, explaining to him, uh, to us. What substitutionary right. atonement was all about. That's exactly right. The Torah was given because of sin. Right. So that we know how to deal with sin and how God would actually atone for sin. So all of that is really seen here in kind of a way that takes us by surprise. It, yeah. It's right. It's insightful how this unfolds. There's another thing, too, I think that in this vein, which is Phinehas is noted for his passion, and, and that's an expression of faith. There's a lot of passion in religion, uh, people who, it doesn't matter what religion, people who are impassionate for religion. Phinehas was not noted just because of his religious passion. He was noted for his passion for the glory and the presence of God, yes. which are not the same thing. Right. In other words, you can have a passion for religion, like we know the Apostle Paul had a zeal for Judaism without the Messiah, such that he was actually imprisoning and having people killed. That was passion, but it was not a passion for the glory of God himself. Right. 
And so <clears throat> we have to recognize that this is actually lifting out of the text this idea that that our passion has to be rooted in a desire for the presence of God and the glory of God as seen in the Redeemer that he's offered. Yes, yes. Yes. It arises, the passion arises out of a relationship yeah. with God. Yeah, right. Yes. So so it's interesting to note, this, this, this believing Israelite comes up with this pagan woman to do this pagan ritual in the very tabernacle area or the area where shocking. the, where, where the shocking yeah, you know, you know what that, you know what that tells me of, I'll tell you, and we're, and we're moving to application now because we're yeah. well okay. over. Yeah. We usually do a 10 minute show. So we got three guests, 30 minutes. I think we're still okay. So, <laughs> so, but it's just amazing how it's in your face, right oh. in your face. What are you going to do about it? And finally Phineas does something about it. And I'm telling you the paganism all around us embedded in America right. is encroaching on the church. It's already moved its way to the Supreme Court. It's already legislated. It's in our public schools everywhere. Mm. And it's just becoming more and more in your face. What are you going to do? And the believers are being pushed back, back, back into a corner. And we're either going to make a compact like they did with, with our culture mm. and try to make peace by be, be going to their little feast and embracing their values and living like they do. Or we're going to have to actually call for a Phinehas spirit and anointing right. to say, no, we're passionate about our God. We're going to stand for him. We're not going to compromise. We're going to say live and let live, but we're, we're going to live a different way. And, and to live our life in that way, even if it means the loss of our own lives. Because for us, death is not the end. Because of Yeshua, we have life not only here and now abundantly, but forever and ever. So, so in bringing this to, to a close, I just want to say paganism is encroaching all around us. And the only way out is a true faith in Messiah in which we have now relationship with the living God. Mm -hmm. that, right. That's the way yeah. out. Religion won't get you around this. No, no relationship. Well, and I want to just speak to our audience. I want to say, you know, if you've never considered Yeshua, the Messiah, as the atonement of God. He suffered and died. He was impaled in public for our sins. He had no sins of his own. There was nothing that stuck. You know, I mean, he actually was the son of David, the son of the living God. And he said he took the sin of the world on his own shoulders and gladly went to the cross and suffered, knowing that his death would be an atonement so that everyone, the Jew first and also the Gentile, could live and escape the wrath of God that's coming against this uh, in-your-face offense to the living God. Mm -hmm. I think that's powerful. And I, I encourage our audience to take a hard look at Yeshua Amen. and mm, to right. uh, see who yeah. he truly is. You want to be the friend of God? You've got to be the enemy of a culture around you that hates God. Mm. You want to be the friend of God? Learn to be the friend of God. Have a relationship. Walk in his ways, and you'll, f you'll find a pact of friendship with him. That comes through faith in Yeshua. Any final comments from either of you? I don't know how to follow that up, Pastor Mark, but it's been great to dig into this text. Yeah, and it's been great to have you on the show, yeah. Pastor Brian. I yeah. think is this your first or second? Did we do another show a couple There's years been ago? Been a couple, yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay. It's, well, it's good Not to have you. Not total newbie, but close. Yeah. Well, they're in Denver now, so we're we're glad to have them out here and and do this show, Pastor Dave. 
Yeah, great to be out here. And uh, I think uh, after you shared, I think it just got saved. So that was Praise awesome. God. Yeah. You, you know, God is so good. God is so good. I mean, you know, let's let's go down to the river again, right? And, yeah, that's uh, right. But he is. God, God is truly amazing. And uh, there's no truer friend than, than God. And he longs for friendship. He Amen. longs for a relationship. Mm-hmm. And just pray for the uh, audience as we close the show today. Father, I just thank you for, for the listeners today. I pray that you bless them, touch them. I pray, oh God, that each and every one of us uh, would have deep relationship with you, that we would find in Yeshua that connection with you that our hearts have always longed for. And we confess that we are sinners, and we also confess that Yeshua is the one who took our sin to the cross by your plan, that we might be forgiven and redeemed. And so we thank you for that. I pray that you watch over everyone, touch our hearts, mm-hmm. lead us towards you and away from the depravity that's growing all around us. Okay, well, that concludes our program for this week. A special thanks to our great King Yeshua, the Messiah, to you, our listeners and supporters, for making this podcast possible through your prayers and financial giving. Thank you. Know that in your prayers and giving, you are partnering with us as we advance the kingdom of of Messiah in Israel, the U.S., and throughout the world. We are a highly rated to and listened to Messianic podcast on iTunes under the category of Judaism. Subscribe now. Pray with us. Give financially and share the vision and power of this podcast with everyone you know. And if you have time, check out all of our social media at graftedin.com. Baruch Hashem. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm your host, Pastor Mark. And until our next show, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Prince of Peace, Yeshua the Messiah. Shalom. Torah Talk has been brought to you by The Harvest, a Messianic Charismatic Congregation located at 8891 Hose Boulevard in Thornton, Colorado. Your host has been Pastor Mark McClellan. Join us for Sabbath services at 1 p.m. next Saturday afternoon. For more information, please call us at 303-761-9948 or visit our website at www.graftedin.com. God bless you and shalom.